What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, my sweet friends. This week, we have a really wonderful guest. Uh, Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers is a therapist and sex educator and an author with a couple of really interesting sounding books. Haven't read them myself yet, but we get a little bit of a debrief on her newest one, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church. As well as shameless parenting. Actually, I don't. I, I think uh, my order is reversed. I think shameless parenting is the oldest one. Sex, God, and the conservative church is featured heavily in this conversation between Jeremy and I. Um, and I think we had some pretty major aha moments. I would say we've we've talked a little bit about the subject of shame and sex and and God and religion and and sex, but this conversation took us somewhere new. Um, gave us some new insight, and I'm really excited to share it with you. I know Jeremy is too. So please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Tina. And if you want to see more, you can find her at tinashermersellers.com. Also find all the links to her uh, social medias there. And uh, I think that's about it. So we'll throw it to the episode. Enjoy. We love you. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. And uh, here we go, cruising into December um, stay warm, take care of each other. We love you. And, uh, we'll see you right after this. And by that, I mean next week and the week after that. And it just goes on and on this love affair forever. We love you so much. Um, well, I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation, um, and uh, I'm very excited to get down to it. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, um, the author of a couple of books. One that I'm I'm really curious to dive into, uh, titled "Sex, God, and the Conservative Church." Um, but before we get into all this, Bridie, I want to ask you: um, We don't have kids. Um, mm-hmm. Neither of us are planning to have kids, at least in the near future. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of our friends 
are kind of popping kids out left, right, and center. My sister, uh, I'm, I'm now an uncle to a couple of young little little buddies. Um, I've and got about 14 nieces <laughs> and nephews now. Yeah, yeah, you got lots. <laughs> so one thing that I have noticed in watching my friends have kids and watching my, you know, my family members have kids is I am constantly scared for myself and also for them to so easily fuck those kids up. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I look at myself and my history, I feel like I, I was brought up pretty okay. You know, like I, I don't feel like I, I had a lot of issues growing up, but, but I mean, I, there's, I, I there's definitely something. It, you I, got some trauma. I got in some there trauma somewhere. in there for sure. <laughs> but like in comparison to many others, I feel like I've had an okay upbringing, mm-hmm. but I just, I, I can't help but think of how easily it is to like mess up your kid. And so, so is wait, is that also true? I assume you have children. Is that also true to the, from I do. the perspective? I have, I have four and two granddaughters that are bitty. Um, is it that, that is it that easy? To you know, I, your kid? it depends on how, how, who you are and how you describe easy. Mm-hmm. There are some basic things that kids need. They need safety. Mm-hmm. They need protection. And they need love, which includes holding, you know, and boundaries, you know, just real present connection, Mm. right? Being Mm -hmm. seen, what I call being seen, known, loved, and accepted. Now, you don't have to do that perfectly, but it needs to tip the scale in that direction. Kids are incredibly resilient, usually, and it just needs to tip in that direction of, I, I feel loved. I feel cared for. I feel safe. Therefore, I can think the world is safe for a while, right? Until I mm. am pre-adolescent or so, and you start to figure things out and realize the world isn't very safe at all. Yeah. So so the other book that you wrote, uh, Tina, is called Shameless Parenting, Everything You Need to uh, Raise Shame-Free, Competent Kids and Heal Your Shame Too. And um, there's kind of a, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like there's a bit of a connection between like book one and book two. In yeah. that the theme is uh, shame and shame, yeah. you know, there's two different types of shame, shame as an adult surrounding sexuality, but also the shame that we can uh, impart on the younger people in our lives that they mm-hmm. will inevitably grow up with. Um, mm-hmm. And to your point about, you know, just to kind of put some context to this feeling of like me f- being afraid, I'm going to fuck up my sister's kids. I, f- I, I did something the other day that I feel like, if I could rewind, go back, I would probably do it a little bit differently. And it wasn't until after it happened that I went, oh, no, like maybe that that wasn't the right way to go about it. Basically, long story short, he was picking his nose and eating it. And yep. I said, hey, you can't do that. And <laughs> and he he said, eh, it's fine. And I was like, well, your boogers are, are dirt. Like, you don't want to eat dirt. And uh, he was like, no, it's not. So I showed him this video on YouTube. It was like a kid's video, like <laughs> boogers are dirt. But in the video the boogers were like these little animated characters with like evil eyes and sharp teeth. And so I kind of, <laughs> I doubled down and I said, see the sharp teeth. Like if you eat those boogers, they'll, they'll, they'll gang up in your belly and they'll eat you from inside oh out. Oh my Oh no. And, <laughs> and two weeks later I went over to my sister's and he picked his nose and sure enough, he looked yeah. at it and then he just flicked it on the floor and I said, Hey, good job. And then he said to me as though we didn't have this conversation, he said, yeah, because if you eat them, what happens is they'll eat you from your belly out. And when he said that, I was like, Oh, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. You, you believed that. And, and now, you know, you believe that from someone that you see as uh, someone that brings you safety and someone that you can trust in. And now, now I'm dealing with this notion of like, Oh, well, you know, maybe he, maybe you, you can't trust me. Maybe, maybe I am not as safe as you might have thought that I was. And so I have to, I have to kind of navigate how to, how to, how to is this like around. a four-year-old? Is this yeah, a four-year-old? He's, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's yeah. about uh, four years old. I get. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I have a funny story in my family where my niece, who's 10 years older than my nephew said to him when he was potty training. So three ish said, you, you should be careful when you go poo, because sometimes things come out of the toilet and try to get you. Oh. And my sister and I didn't know for the longest time why he would want to kneel like on his feet 
crouched down on the toilet to poo oh, like no. for the longest time, you know, yeah. like all the way to kindergarten. And then we learned when he grew up, that is what his sister had said to him. <laughs> oh <laughs> my know? goodness. So yeah. yeah, you know, different ages, it's sort of why I think it's useful to know developmental things. Like mm. when kids are real concrete, you know, they are, they're going to absolutely believe you. So at some point you're going to need to come clean, mm. you know, and say, Hey dude, I was just trying to get you not to do that. They yeah. actually aren't going to hurt you, but you might get teased when you get older. And I really don't want that to happen to you. So it's important to use a Kleenex. You know what I mean? And you're going to have to say it a hundred times because yeah. kids are kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm thank you for giving me that piece of advice because I yeah. I really was like how the fuck am I gonna come around and <laughs> tell them I'm now? a big liar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, they're really resilient, you know, mm. but they do they, it. It can go a long way to apologize and come clean with something. Mm. That's true. That mm -hmm. like is the thing. We don't have kids, and and maybe I have been thinking a little bit more about like, you know, if I was going to, what things do I want to change about my upbringing? Mm -hmm. And that piece on like coming clean, apologizing, like, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of um, resolution to conflict yeah. mm -hmm. are yeah. all things that I'm like, oh, wow. Like I can really see how, you know, little me is like, playing out in the in in situations or like yeah. conversations because because of yeah those yeah certain things. well yeah. to that point bridie i know that um you know in 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 lieu of you you speaking about your upbringing um one of the things that i really would like to kind of pick your brain about tina is the the um the topic of shame uh surrounding sexuality um, and bridie i know that like through years of doing this podcast you've mentioned a number of times that like you grew up with Quite a bit of shame around sexuality, um, in a sense, and 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 I feel like that probably comes from like like religious, sort of. Um, yeah. So my stepmom was a minister mm -hmm. in an Anglican church, and we went to church every Sunday. And my dad was a lay reader, like you know, just like a very church heavy childhood, I would mm. say. Um, but the, I don't know if there was necessarily shame. There was just not a lot. Of, there was no talking about any yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even necessarily that, I mean, I'm sure there were moments like when I asked if I could go on birth control, that there was <laughs> some shit, there was some shame dealt down, but I really feel like the silence was mm. what really didn't help yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and I think in, in, in my upbringing, I mean, there wasn't a lot of talk about sex in general. I had, I had like a sex talk with my mom. It was awkward. Um, and that was it. Um, but the, but there wasn't really a lot of shame around sexuality with my family, um, and there, there, there definitely wasn't a lot of religious sort of uh, practices or anything like that in my family. But um, Tina, I'm wondering about like your your upbringing and your story. So I'm I'm guessing someone who writes a book titled "Sex, God, and the C Conservative Church" has at least some history of um, of you know shame surrounding sex and and religion kind of kind of sprinkled within there. Yeah, well, it's actually what makes me unique because. Um, that is not my background. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a Swedish immigrant home and had many generations of people that felt very, very comfortable with bodies and sexuality and taught you about things like they teach you about brushing your teeth and how to do a recipe in the kitchen. And I mean, it was really woven easily through life. Like there was never a talk that would have been a silly thing because it was, it was talked about all the time. Mm. And, and I watched adults talk about it appropriately back and forth or flirt or sit on each other's laps or whatever. I remember my grandmother running around in a shorty 90 until she died you know, at 90. <laughs> um, people changed out of their clothes into their swimsuit in front of each other. Um, bodies were just something that people had and they were valuable um, and we took care of them, but it wasn't made it wasn't punctuated in any kind of a way and so questions and conversations arose really easily it was because I had that experience and my family was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but that part was really a lovely gift for me which I didn't mm. really realize until I was probably in my 30s um, but I later uh, 
taught in a graduate marriage and family therapy program for almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. And one of the courses I taught was the graduate level human sexuality class. Not all people who are studying to be physicians or therapists are required to take a sexuality class. Some programs will have one. One is not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But I taught that one in the program that I um, taught in. And I asked my students to write their sexual autobiography as part of the class. So a lot of times when people hear that, they're like, ah, are you kidding? I can never imagine sticking my sexual story onto paper. Mm. But I would say to them, you're only ever as good a therapist as you know where you begin and end and your clients or patients begin and end. And if that gets fuzzy, then you're going to, you can step over boundaries. You can likely hurt people. You're going to share biases that aren't helpful, et cetera. And so in many different classes along the way, students would be doing one of their assignments from the perspective of their family of origin experience. Hmm. So, um, so they were given like 70 questions or so and asked to look at kind of three generations of how things came down and then ask them about their childhood how they learned about sexuality, what were some of their first experiences, adolescence and young adulthood. So I started reading these in the early 90s. And right around 2000, I noticed a really significant shift in the tone of these papers. So mind you, people were having the typical range of experience, I would say, you know, and um, exploring things in in very typical ways, having desires in typical ways, having thoughts in typical ways, expressions, whatever. But all of a sudden they were referring to themselves as like perverted or Mm. that that this just dark hatred language would come out. And, um, And I couldn't figure out why there was this increase in ignorance around what was typical on top of this assumption that everything they were thinking and feeling and doing around sexuality was somehow wrong, bad, made them bad, whatever. And so I saw this year after year and around two or three years into around 2003, I started digging further, like trying to find out, tell me more about what happened in your adolescence or what was going on. What I finally realized is I was hitting the first uh, crest of students that had gotten abstinence only education in the United States, which of course we pumped billions and billions of dollars into it. That was actually religiously based education. We now know 80% of it was medically inaccurate. So across the country, people were getting this, but then there was a whole nother set of millions of kids that on top of that were also involved in youth groups or going to churches. And now they were being told really awful things. You know, you may have heard some of these, you know, like, you know, they're given a piece of gum, they chew it for a while while the youth pastor talks about how important it is to keep yourself pure. And then he says, take your gum out of your mouth. This is what you'll be giving to your future partner. It's just like your chewed gum. If you give your sexuality away thoughts, feelings, actions, right? Mm. And they did all kinds of things. They would pass around pieces of pizza and ask them to take a bite. They would pass around lollipops, ask them to take a bite. They would have them glue two contrasting pieces of paper together and then ask them to undo them. They would hand them pieces of foil and then ask them to crumble them up and then open them back up. The message was the same. You will be damaged goods. Mm. And many, many kids were getting introduced to these ideas at pre-adolescent, you know, 10, 11, 12, when they really, all they wanted to do was to make people happy in their life, you know, make their parents happy, whatever. And um, they didn't yet know. I mean, the, the hormones hadn't begun to dump in their bodies. They hadn't begun to individuate at all. And, um, and so when they did, the kids who tended to be a little bit more anxious or a little bit more earnest were the ones that showed it show the most dramatic um, self-hatred down to pelvic pain disorders, erectile dysfunctions that would last long into their adulthood. And mind you, I had not seen that kind of dysfunction arising in 20 somethings in my entire career. So that it was the contrast of my growing up with what I was seeing from these delightful humans. And I was just sick 
to my stomach. I thought, I don't think anybody in the, you know, and I can see in the United States is saying anything about this. We are literally causing symptoms of sexual abuse in the lives of people, you know? So, so that, that is it. And a lot of times people will say, well, that must be your background, but it's actually, it's the fact that it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, totally. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I guess like, I mean, this might sound like a, a bit of a daft question, but like, um, and, and I know you sort of touched on it there, but like how, how far and, and like what sorts of impacts do, do, you know, sexual shame, religious based sexual shame, um, yeah. have on people, um, I mean, I mean, you know, maybe outside of like, it's pretty astounding to me to hear that, you know, this, this led to like, like, uh, you know, erectile dysfunction and like, like, you know, vaginal pain and, and, and pain with sex. What, what other kinds of impacts do we like, would we see from, from religious based sexual shame? Yeah. Uh, we actually didn't have a researched operational definition of sexual shame until 2017. So, and I was actually on the dissertation committee of the person who did that. And she, and she actually wanted to study religious sexual shame, but because we didn't even have an operational definition of sexual shame, she had to start there. Mm. The, the definition that arose out of her interviews is absolutely stunning. And, and I will say that um, religious sexual shame adds a whole nother layer on top of it, but we have so much of it just built into our culture here that people are getting it even when they don't often have a religious background, if they had abstinence education or people around that, that just really made only a danger view of sexuality, mm. you know, it's just, it's dangerous. It's going to kill you. Da, 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 da. You know, but I, I will read to you this definition because it shows how profound the impact of sexual shame is. Before I read it, I've come to believe that sexual shame is our first shame for most people in the US anyway, because when you're about three, you, oh, and actually it's even sooner than that, right? you discover your genitals. And mm. three is when the diapers come off and you can access things more readily, but kids discover it somewhere around a year old when they're in the tub or getting their diapers changed. And that's like actually a glorious day for them, right? Because we have all these phenomenal nerve endings, mm. right? But if their caregivers think that that's bad or dirty or masturbating or whatever, and slap their hand away or say, Ooh, yuck. Right. They're going to still keep doing that until they're like five, when they start to remember things in more concrete ways. And then every single time they do that, they're getting yelled at. And so 
they're beginning to form the opinion that something must be profoundly wrong with me because I'm just, I'm just being me. Right. right? Which that's, is what shame that's is. That's like the, the idea of like being perverted, you know, it kind of comes yeah. from. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So here's the definition just so that you guys can hear it. Sexual shame is a visceral feeling of humiliation and disgust. So in your body, a visceral feeling of humiliation and disgust toward one's own body and identity as a sexual being and a belief of being abnormal, inferior, and unworthy. Oh God. This feeling can be internalized. So we, we can bring it right in, develop an inner critic internalized, but it also manifests in interpersonal relationships. So it starts again, when we're really little, usually having a negative impact on trust, communication, and physical and emotional intimacy. Mm. So at every place where we do bonding and attachment, this interrupts or hurts. Sexual shame develops across the lifespan in interactions with interpersonal relationships one's culture and society, and it creates a subsequent critical self-appraisal. So it gets that inner critic going. So we all know that we hear a, a ton about how we're not good enough in the, in the US. You're not good enough. That's why you need to keep purchasing, right? That's why you need to keep doing other things because you're not good enough. So the culture then picks up where parents may have left off. And then it goes on to say, there is also a fear and uncertainty related to one's right to make decisions or power to make decisions, including mm. safety decisions related to sexual encounters, along with an internalized judgment toward one's own sexual desire. So I don't know if either one of you have read the book Girls and Sex or Boys and Sex by Peggy Ornstein. Phenomenal mm. books, both of mm. them. She's a New York Times journalist. She interviewed about 80 girls for the Girls in Sex book, 15 to 22. And then about five years later, she did interview about 100 boys. And she was just wanting to find out what's it like now to grow up and learn about sexuality and mm. romance or whatever. And one of the things that came out of Peggy's Girls in Sex book is she said, she was talking to people that women, young women who felt competent in every area of their life, felt like they had voice, felt like they had capacities to, to speak their mind, to pursue their dreams, whatever, until they got ready to go out. And then they were putting down three, four and five shots of hard liquor mm. because they didn't know if they could keep themselves safe or if they had the right to. Now, she did not interview religious based kids there were only a few in her in the studies that were but this just shows how prevalent sexual shame is when you combine parents that don't talk we have about 95 percent of parents in homes that are silent or silent and shaming they don't talk about sexuality they're not helping kids learn or gain the knowledge about it and then kids are only getting it from fantasy from media right right and their friends and that's that's really uh, unhelpful because it doesn't translate well, mm. you know. Yeah. So anyway, holy. That, I, th yeah. I mean, th <laughs> this, the one thing that comes to mind here is you know we've we've done this show now for what six years, mm -hmm. and we've talked about sexual shame countless times over the years, mm -hmm. but never have we talked about it from like a like a socio political sort of background or like a. Uh, you know, a cultural context in terms yes. of like where that's stemming from. And, and I can't help but think like um, it's a real shame. No, no pun intended that we didn't record this uh, as like one of our very first episodes. Cause yes. I feel like it would have changed the trajectory of, of this, uh, of this show, at least given us a, a lot more of a, a deeper understanding in terms of having the conversations with the people that we've had um, on the show over the last number of years. Um, Wow, that like totally, totally bonkers. Um, yeah, it changes changes kind of everything yeah. in a way mm -hmm. because when with your books, um, like, what is the treatment plan for people who are have reached adult age? Let's say, yeah, and mm -hmm. 
want to mm. relearn this. Sure. Like, how? Because yeah. I hear this and I'm like, oh my God, I got to find the things, you know, I got to yeah. find the things and get and figure them out. So they're not in there anymore, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, and sh- you know, we acquired shame usually from a very young age in many, many, many ways. So it's woven into us. And for all we know, if you have, if you have parents or grandparents or great grandparents where there was also silence or silence and shame around how they develop their sexuality, then it's probably epigenetic as well. Mm -hmm. It's inside of us. Right. Um, So in the book, I, I, I wanted to kind of help people who this had been an experience of theirs. So I wanted to say here has the formation of America and America's connection to um, a Christian sexual ethic, which is, you know, the body is bad. It'll take you away from God. The um, mind and the spirit are good. Right. And this goes way, way, way back. Right. And then the, in the fourth century, we had Constantine, who was an emperor, he became a Christian. So then he had the power as the politician to appoint the brand new leaders in the church. And at that point, what was happening is the men were vying for power based on who could deny the body the most. And when they couldn't, when they screwed up, they blamed women. Well, that sexual ethic is woven into America's ethic, right? Whether it's in the church or not, I mean, it is still in the church, but it's very much in the culture. You know, if, if uh, you know, what percentage of women who are assaulted even report and they don't report because they know they probably won't be believed or nothing will be done. Mm-hmm. Right. We have rape kits unlooked at thousands of them in the United States. So we still do that very same thing. So I wanted to help people understand here's where this all came from. It never really was based in any kind of love or justice or mutuality or anything like that. Um, And then I wanted to give them, there are some beautiful sex positive um, beliefs and ideas and writings that come from mystic Jewish writing and mystic Hebrew um, scripture. So I put that in there because I wanted to say, if you feel like you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, here's some sex positive things that just never came forward that should have come mm. forward, wow. you know, and, and over, it took me 11 years to write that book. I mean, I just spent an enormous amount of time, but during that time, I was also working with hundreds and hundreds of people whose sexual shame was impacting their ability to give and receive love. Well, so I um, worked on developing a model for how you heal and I call it, Um, erasing the mess, the model for erasing sexual shame, Mm M-E-S-S. And it's really four different uh, kind of components that you're doing kind of over and over and over again in a circle, like thinking of like a a yarn, that's all, you know, a ball of yarn. You're kind of doing this over and over. And it's what I call frame, name, claim, and aim. Frame is get yourself a frame or a scaffolding of sexual health information. Find out the difference between the myths that you've been taught and what is actually true about your bodies, about relationships, about whatever. And I I give ideas of here's places where you can go to get that. It's there, but you need to get it because you probably didn't ever get it, you know? Mm. And then name is tell your story to someone that you trust who can be compassionate and empathic or a group of friends or therapist or whatever. Because when we tell our story in that context, shame has a really hard time living. Shame thrives in secrecy, but it starts to melt away when it gets heard. And what you're going to find out if we have 90 to 95% of homes that are silent or silent and shaming, you're going to find out you are far from alone. But so many people have their own stories too. And then you'll feel a part of a community of people that are healing. Mm. And then claim is claim your body as good, right? We love to sell bodies. We love to make certain bodies good and everything else bad. And this is not helpful to people because we all have them. And this is one of the beautiful things I learned from my family is we all have bodies. And if we get to get up in the morning and we're not in severe pain and we're not ill enough that we can't enjoy our day, then we have so much to be grateful for because this body that we're in is like the pen that we write the poetry of our life with. 
Yeah. I can reach out. I can hug somebody. I can speak. I can, there are things I can do because I'm in this body. This body is good. It's unfortunate that we live in the culture that we do in America anyway, um, because we don't give space for that at all. And yet it's only when I get up and I feel like I'm grateful, you know, and I'm pleased with what I have that I feel free enough to actually live my life and be present to my life. Mm. So in that process of uh, framing, naming and claiming, what we begin to slowly do is we begin to aim for a brand new sexual health legacy for ourselves and for anybody that comes to know us well, like nieces and nephews, for example, mm. you know, it's because we start to get free. We start to gain the words and the knowledge and how to speak. And we start to stop apologizing for the body that we're in. And this then creates for us the beginning of liberation, but it's, it's work. It's something you have to stay at because meanwhile, the, Culture is still going to keep telling you what it's telling you, right? Just to kind of um, uh, sort of rewind a little bit um, and and coming back to that period in your work when you started to notice this shift in in the students and and shift in this like discourse surrounding the shame um, in their in their own sexuality. What have you were you able to pinpoint like why? that shift happened like what was the yeah um because the the thing that i find really interesting about that is the timeline of it so you're saying yeah. like it's in the early yeah. 2000s that you're right. starting to see this wave which would mean my my guess is like that education was being pumped out into you know into america in the early 90s right? uh, i i mean well I, yeah maybe maybe 20. even the 80s and 90s Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like, where did that shift come from? Why, what was the the push to like, um, yeah. to have the church kind of get involved in education and especially around like educate, like health education? Yeah. I think that's such an important question because understanding context for us can actually help us not repeat it. Yeah. So I don't know how connected you are with American politics, but in 1980, there was a dramatic shift to the conservative right. Ronald Reagan was elected president. Um, The religious right and the moral majority became a huge voting block. In 1980, the Southern Baptist Church was co-opted into this religious right and decided to make abortion a bad thing. It had they had not. They'd been in support of it prior to 1980. They'd been supportive of the passage of Roe v. Wade in 1973-74. They were really not. So churches weren't involved in politics at all, but we began a blending or a merging of church and state beginning in 1980. That was the beginning of moving to abstinence education. It took some years to pump billions and billions of dollars into it and get it across the entire United States. But we did. And by the early 90s, um, it was virtually happening everywhere, pretty much. Um, The other thing that happened that I think is critical to to remember is in the mid. So the reason that the the country was vulnerable to make this shift is because it was frightened and it was frightened because of how the religious right and the moral majority and the Republican Party started talking about AIDS, Mm -hmm. talking about second wave feminism. Mm-hmm. And there had been an economic downturn. Those three things occurred in the early 80s. So it frightened the public. So the public was now doing what frightened publics often do in America anyway. And that is jump to the person that looks like they are speaking that everything is certain. Right. Mm-hmm. So that happened. And um, it was really about growing capitalism. It was really not about protecting people or any of the things they said it was. It was all about growing capitalism. We began to pass laws to remove regulations from banking, to remove regulations from our media, our FCC, our Federal Communications Commission, and making product more important than people in a significant way. And this is when you start to see the beginning of the income gap in America start to grow dramatically beginning in 1980 to where it is today. Um, So remembering that. We had video games and videos in the early 80s. 
Um, we had the internet a little later than that. And then we had social media coming a little later than that. When you've removed all of the regulations from all of that, now it means that you can show anything you want to. And what increased that affected the public the most was violence against women. Right. It now is in video games, music videos, movies, and then um, all of, you know, our porn didn't have any humiliation against women. We had one movie before 1986, one, that's it. And I've studied porn, so I know. Um, and and then it, there was this dramatic shift into that. And then, of course, the internet um, and social media got on board with all of that. And so this is really what impacted culture. There was a merging of church and state. We have never gone back to separating those two things. We can see it when you turn on American TV and news right now. Um, and and the the country is remarkably ignorant about sexual health, about bodies, about children's development for that matter, mm. you know? Um, and so we've really been in sorry shape and we continue to be because of those shifts and changes. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like hearing you say that it just makes me so it's, it's always, it's always fascinating to look back at the sort of, um, political and cultural influences and how those things sort of shape mm -hmm. society um, in in the way that we live in it t today. And and like, I'm just, I'm so curious to see what things are going to look like 20 years from now, especially when, mm -hmm. you know, it, it you're right. Like there, you know, we're not, we, it still feels like we're living in, uh, currently it feels like we're living in a complete sh and utter shit show. Um, yeah, right. and so like, you know, what's it going to be like 20 years from now? Uh, right. God only knows. Um, in, in terms of, uh, the, you know, so we're, we're talking about these people that have been affected by this, uh, this shift in, in the sort of socio-political background in, in the eighties and nineties. Um, I'm a, I'm a product of the eighties in 1988, uh, born. And, you know, again, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, like a lot of a lot of my friends are having kids now. Um, uh, and, and I'm, you know, knowing the history here and knowing that a lot of the people my age who are having children or who have had children for a little bit were likely affected by these shifts in, in, in the culture. Um, for those who are listening, who have kids and they know that they, you know, they grew up in, in a, a, a yeah. silent home or, or worse off, you know, a straight up shaming home. Um, and they're worried about, oh, oh God, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to fuck, fuck my kid, my kid up. up. Um, sure. <laughs> what, what do you recommend to those people? You know, like I, yeah. I, I think about my sister and you know, the, the young boys that she has now, I've never talked to her about this. I, I after this conversation, I most certainly am. I'm, I'm going to chat with her about like the conversations that she is having or that she's planning to have with the boys about yeah. their sexuality. But like, yeah. what do you recommend to those parents that recognize that that was the way they were brought up and they don't want to repeat. Yeah. History over yeah. Again. That's exactly how the books, um, shameless parenting came about. Cause mm. I was hearing from so many parents, like, I, I don't want to do to my kid what was done to me, but I have no idea exactly what to do. And I really don't want to repeat this. So can you help me? I was hearing it from physicians too, who, and therapists who didn't have time necessarily to dive into everything and actually weren't entirely sure themselves. So I thought, how can I put something in the hands of people that is very practical and very helpful? So um, shameless parenting is put together in um, like bite-sized pieces. It's birth to two, one section, two to four, four to six, six to eight, all the way up to 18. So literally you can turn to where's my kid going to be next year. Mm. And you can read four pages and it's going to say, here's the emotional tasks that most kids in this time frame are trying to accomplish emotionally in their, in their becoming right in their neurodevelopment. Here's the behavioral tasks. You're going to see them expressing likely, and it could look like this or look like that. And then here's the sexual or body or sensual curiosities that are likely to emerge in this two-year time frame. And this is what it might look like. But then I go on to, to ask caregivers questions like, how do you think it might be for you when your child finds their 
genitals or when they're found with their pants down with the, their uh, same age neighbor friend or whatever, whatever. I mean, all the way up the, the, the development. How might that be for you? And if you can feel an inner reactivity, that's just an indicator that you were shamed around this when you were little. You earned the shame. Mm. So here's some ways to heal that shame. And then I give questions to like journal around, think about, um, write about, to help them begin that healing process so that when their child does that, they can manage the reactivity within them. They can take a deep breath, have a neutral or a happy face, and then are able to say, oh, look at that. You found your vulva or, oh, you look like, it sounds like you, looks like you guys were interested in what each other looked like. Well, mm -hmm. that's totally normal. Let's put our clothes back on and get on with playing. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, so you can, you can be like, you're talking mm -hmm. about an elbow or a shoulder. Um, the other thing I do at the end of each one of these sections is I kind of do the legwork for parents. I say, right now, here's the top books. If I were buying them, these are the top books I'd be getting my kids at this age. Here's the top books I'd be getting you at this, when your kids are this age, and here's the top websites. And so I just give a list at the end of each section that's age appropriate to that um, particular time frame of what kinds of things are good for parents to read and what kinds of, you know, picture books or whatever are, are appropriate for kids. Because I literally wanted to make it as easy as possible so people could begin to take a deep breath and realize that they can totally change this legacy in one generation, no problem, if they just do these things and try to stay just a year ahead of your kid, that's all. You don't have mm. to have it all figured out. You just need to be a year ahead of them mm. and in the books a little bit early and then have the books sitting around, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I try to make it as easy as possible. That's That's what I did. I love that, uh, that you, that it's, it's that the third part of, you know, um, you, you mentioned like the behavioral tasks or the emotional skills that they're developing at a certain age and that their curiosity about their body or their sexuality is just as predictable mm. yes, regardless of what sex ed they've had before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. wild. That blows mm -hmm. my mind. Yeah. 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 And they, the other thing I think parents struggle with, and this is why we hear about the talk is um, kids are gonna be curious in like these really bite-sized kinds of ways, yeah. right? So at six, they'll be like, where do babies come from? And then parents wanna launch into the whole deal, right? Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, or yeah. get really freaked out about it. And, and really, they may only be wanting to know one thing, you know? So you say, well, tell me more what you mean by where do babies come from? You wanna know like where babies come out of the body? Like, what, what are you really curious right. about? And they'll tell you, well, I just want to know this. It doesn't make sense. Like, do they come out of your belly button? What, you know? And mm. so he's like, well, no. So babies, when they're birthed, and then you can, you know, tell them they just, they come out of the vaginal canal, which people who are born with uh, vulvas have a vaginal yeah. canal usually. So um, they don't, they don't eat their way out of your belly like uh, boogers do. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I, this yeah. is uh, Tina. This has been a really eye-opening uh, mm -hmm. conversation, and um, I, you know, I know for sure that there's going to be a number of listeners that are uh, feeling pretty relieved to have heard it. Um, I, I, like I kind of said before, I can't wait to speak to the people in my life that have kids about the stuff that we've talked about today. Um, for the folks that are listening and and feel like, you know, <clears throat> these books are something that would be of value to them, um, where can they find uh, copies of the books? Where can they find your work and what you're up to? Uh, and if you have any other resources that you might be able to like forward them to. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram at Donna or Dr. Tina Shameless. So D-R-T-I-N-A Shameless. Um, I have a website that is my full name. So it's Tina Shermer Sellers, and I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes.com. And that talks about all my work. There's also another website that's um, Dr. Tina Shameless that also talks about my work. And then you can get the books really probably anywhere that books are sold. I know for lots of people, it's easy just to order them on Amazon or one of those other, you know, 
booksellers that can send it to you. Um, but um, they're pretty accessible that yeah. way. And if people are ever having a hard time or even have a question, they're welcome to DM me. And um, I usually am pretty good at getting back to folks. So. So again, the books are Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy, and Shameless Parenting, Everything You Need to Raise Shame-Free, Confident Kids, and Heal Your Shame Too. Dr. Tina Shermer-Sellers, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and record with us. It really does mean a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful being with you both. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why do you go touch yourself? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.